Good morning and welcome. I'm so thankful that you've gathered with us this morning. My name is Craig Thompson and I'm the senior pastor here and it is absolutely our privilege to have you here with us on this 4th of July. I am so appreciative that you're here. Let me explain why. It's been 11 years since the 4th of July was on a Sunday. But 11 years ago in 2010, the 4th of July was on a Sunday and the attendance on that day was so terrible and abysmal. It was the most depressing sermon I've ever preached. Uh, but it really wasn't the attendance that got me. Apparently my preaching was so bad, a sweet lady fell asleep in the third row and snored during my sermon. Uh, I mean, and, and y'all, please don't do this. I want you to love your neighbor well enough today that she didn't drift off like this. She fell asleep like this. Listen, I know you're ready to get to the lake or to the barbecue or to the fireworks or whatever it is, but do me a favor if your neighbor falls asleep lovingly nudge them, okay? You don't want them to, to, to snore in the middle of my sermon. And look, if we catch you sleeping, I'm going to ask these guys with the cameras to zoom in on you so that we can get that. I'm so glad that you've come with us today. Today we do celebrate, by the way, we're in Psalm 119, verse 97. If you want to go ahead and be turning there. Today as we celebrate our independence, just a quick note of history. Baptists have been in South Carolina longer than the United States has been in South Carolina. The first Baptist church was organized in South Carolina in Charleston. Uh, I believe it was 1692. So even older than our nation has been freedom-loving Baptists here in South Carolina who have longed for individual freedom, for uh, freedom of re religion, and for, for personal liberty. And so just as Baptists, just know we stand in a long line of folks who have desired and prayed for freedom. Why? Because as Baptists, we stand in a long line of people who have been persecuted because of their faith, especially those who fled um, religious tyranny uh, to come to the colonies. Not all, matter of fact, not most were Baptists at that time, but Baptists were among many of the most persecuted in Europe because of the Baptist conviction and belief in, in believers' baptism by immersion. You know, we can we can get to sideways about all sorts of things, and the fact that we our, our Baptist forebears believed in the necessity of full immersion in the water uh, at conversion. It, it made them stand out among all their peers. We found a way to be hated by everybody. Um, the Catholics didn't like us because we, we baptized all the way up under, right? The Lutherans didn't like us. The Presbyterians didn't like us. The state churches didn't like us. We stood out. So I want y'all to continue to stand out, but not for the wrong reasons, for all the right reasons. We stand out because of not only the freedom we have as Americans that we celebrate, but the freedom we have in Christ that Pastor Buster's already mentioned to us this morning. Hopefully you've had an opportunity to turn to Psalm 119. I, I didn't turn there as I should have. So you'll have to wait one more moment. Psalm 119, beginning in verse 97. I'm going to ask you to please stand with me in honor of God's word. Hear now, for this is the word of God. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies. For it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers. For your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me how sweet 
are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Will you join with me in prayer this morning? Father God, even as we come celebrating, praising you, and thanking you for the freedom that we have as Americans, Father, we also come celebrating, thanking, and praising you, Lord God, that we can not only pledge our allegiance to this country, but ultimately pledge our allegiance to you. Father God, our God and our Savior, Father, we thank you that we have freedom in Christ. I pray, Lord God, that we would never squander the religious freedom we have in this country by neglecting, Father, to cling to the freedom we have in Jesus Christ and to love your word. Guide us this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning, I really want to ask this question, how can you love God's Word? How can you love God's Word? We, we have been six months in the Word of God together as a church, reading through it. But today, not only are we there, we, we celebrate our independence as a country. And y'all, I plan to do it upright. I love the 4th of July, okay? As soon as we finish up here, half of my family's already gone up to the upstate where our family is. The other half and I will leave as soon as we finish up this morning. And we will drive up to a little place that makes Cassett seem awesome, right? Uh, not that it's not awesome. I shouldn't mean that. I should say it better. A little place that makes Elgin seem awesome. How about that? I'm just kidding. Let me just hush. We're going to a little bitty place in the back called Buck Creek, South Carolina. Y'all like that? That's good, isn't it? Uh, but we'll gather with our family and we'll blow up a lot of things. There'll be fireworks and guns and steak and homemade ice cream and family and lots of fun. I mean, it will be America all over the place. I love our country and I love celebrating our independence. And I do believe that we live in the greatest country that the Lord has ever placed on planet Earth. I'm grateful for the privilege that God has given me and all of us for living here. But today... I want to talk about us pledging our allegiance elsewhere as well. Not only do we pledge our allegiance to the flag, I want us to pledge our allegiance to the Word of God. Yes, tonight I'll be in that little place called Buck Creek and no one who drives by will question my family's commitment to patriotism. But as followers of Christ, I wonder if people recognize a similar, similar, similar level of commitment in our lives to God's Word. Do people drive by our lives and see us committed to the Word of God? Do they know? I wore my red, white, and blue bow tie today. Aubrey encouraged me to wear my cowboy boots because they're apparently more American than the other shoes I had picked out. And I hope... That people will know of my love for our country. But do people know of our love for the Word of God? See, we live in a day when the Bible is not respected. But you know, this isn't a new day. We get so caught up in our own culture that we miss. So I pulled out this sermon from a man named O.C. Jones Jr., a preacher preaching nearly 50 years ago. I don't know him. I've got a, a little booklet in my office called um, Outstanding Sermons by Black Preachers. And it's, it's about 50 years old. I, I picked it up at a used book sale. And, and I just knew that one day I was going to need it. And this week, I found the perfect quote from this man, O.C. Jones Jr. He had this to say. The thoughtful layman is well aware that some profound change has taken place in the church's attitude towards Scripture. 
but finds it difficult to grasp what the change is, how much it implies, and where it is likely to lead. For his grandfather, the Bible was a book of answers to life's problems, authoritative and divinely certified. For the layman today, it has become a book of problems, too many to which there appear to be no authoritative answers. It is not even ecclesiastically authoritative, let alone divinely so. Fifty years ago, Reverend O.C. Jones Jr. opined that the Bible had lost its place of authority. But notice what he says, not in culture, but in the church. Folks, I stand before you today to assert to you that the Bible is indeed the divine word of God. That it is sufficient for the salvation of all of mankind. That in it we find the hope for life. That it is true from Genesis all the way to the very last period of Revelation. That in it there is no mixture of error. It is full of hope and joy and peace. In it we find life. We've spent six months now working our way through the Bible as a church. And if you've not been with us that, that long, let me just explain what we've been doing. Beginning in, in January, we as a church body began reading through the Bible, beginning in the book of Genesis. And we have been sprinting through it, isn't it? If this is the first time you've ever tried to read through the Bible in a year, then you probably feel like your tongue's hanging out sometimes for those of you that are keeping up. But in addition to us reading through the Bible together in a year, I've been preaching through the Bible uh, not only I, everybody who's preached this year, we've, we've preached in line with the text that you'll be reading. And so this week you'll read from Psalm 119. Even though the pace has been hard, I want you to know that the goal for me as your pastor has been simple. I want you to fall in love with the Word of God. I want it to change your life. In a time when the Bible is no longer revered, I want you to find that simple love and trust that may have lived in your grandmother or your great-grandma or your uncle or your father. I hope and pray that you will get to a place where reading God's Word isn't just one more thing for you to do on your list today, but rather it will bring satisfaction. Because God's Word is not to be loathed. Instead, it is to be loved, enjoyed, and treasured. And I stand before you today and urge you to pledge your allegiance to the Word of God. But not only out of duty. I want you to do it out of joy and faith. We'll set off a lot of fireworks tonight. Okay, We, we have the, the privilege of several people going in to purchase fireworks. So there's a lot of fireworks that get bought. I, I want you to know that for the most part, we gather to celebrate out of joy. Not out of a sense of duty. We're not showing up tonight going, oh great, I guess I'll just, all right, here it is, it's finally time, we'll, we'll give, we'll, we'll, we'll celebrate our country. I've been looking forward to this for weeks. As a matter of fact, y'all, by the time I finish July the 4th and my vacation, as far as I'm concerned, summer's over, we can be done. I'm ready to get on to football season, you know. Folks, I hope we can get to a place where the Word of God has the same love and joy for us. That we don't just read it going, oh, well, shucks, here we go, it's time. What if we got to a place where we said, it's time. And God's word is special and precious. For those of you that are rolling your eyes right now, I'm not mad at you. You're rolling your eyes because you're going, that ain't possible. I want you to know that it is. 
Let's see if we can't take some steps in that direction. For what we can tell, Psalm 119, which is the longest of all of the Psalms, the longest chapter in all the Bible, was written by a person enduring a degree of persecution. One commentator suggested this psalmist is probably less like Isaiah and a little bit more like Jeremiah. We're going to get into those psalms in, in a few months. And when we get into those psalms, what you're going to find about Isaiah and Jeremiah, Isaiah is strong and powerful. And Jeremiah is, is, is sort of soft and, and weaker. And I don't mean that in, in a mean sense. They're just two different personalities. Isaiah is loud and out there, and Jeremiah is sensitive. Isaiah would have been a warrior. Jeremiah may have been an artist. But Isaiah speaks, thus saith the Lord. And, and Jeremiah hides in the corner going, God, do I have to do this? Isaiah is where we are when we're on the mountaintop. And Jeremiah is where we are when we're in the valley. We're all Isaiah sometimes, aren't we? And we're all Jeremiah sometimes. Well, the psalmist is in a Jeremiah kind of place. Darkness is around him. Persecution is coming upon him. And the psalmist, as the darkness closes in, clings only to God's word. And throughout Psalm 119, we find that the word of God brings several things. Let me list for you some of the things that we find from Psalm 119. The, psalm, the, the word of God brings joy. The word of God is firmly fixed and unchanging. It is a God. It's a north star. The word of God purifies. The word of God brings wonder and awe. The word of God strengthens it gives understanding. The Word saves. The Word comforts in times of affliction. The Word also gives judgment and discernment. It will also judge you, which is what sometimes makes it hard. It gives understanding, but not just any understanding, understanding from the Creator. The Word of God gives hope, provides shelter, gives courage. It is a lamp to your feet and a light to your path when the darkness closes in. The Word of God shows God's righteousness. The Word strengthens our faith. The Word brings rescue. The Word provides safety and courage. The Word provides help. But how can you love it? How can you love it? Let me give you three things that I think may help you. The first thing that we see right here in Psalm 119, verses 97 through 104, is that we should remember the author. Remember the author. Right there in verse 97, how, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your law. Have you ever gotten an email or a text message from a friend that really made you mad or even sad? How many of you have ever done this? You pull out your phone, you're cruising dune, you go, hey, there's from my buddy. Let me see what that says. And then it says something that just absolutely infuriates you. You ever had that text message? Some of y'all are godlier than me, but the rest of y'all understand We've been there. We got that message or that email, and man, we were almost ready to fight the minute we read it. I, I learned my lesson. I almost fell off the steps. That would have been one more Fourth of July to remember, wouldn't it? <laughs> Y'all been texting that right away, wouldn't you? Everybody taking video? I, I, I learned my lesson about, uh, about email confrontation nearly 20 years ago. I was still coaching ball, and uh, one of my coaches and I got into an email skirmish. We'll call it that. That'd be a nice way to say it. And uh, we, we, we both couldn't get to one another. We were in the same building, but, you know, we, we had classes and things. And so I'll never forget, by the time that I got to a place where I could get to him face to face, I went and found him in his classroom and I closed the door. Because I was not sure if he was going to hit me or if I was going to hit him or how it was going to. I knew how it was going to turn out. It was going to be really ugly. 
Well, the reality was we had just sent so many emails back and forth and escalated. Every email got a little worse and a little worse and a little worse. And we got face-to-face and we could engage in body language and tone. We, we realized that we, we weren't that far apart. But somehow or other, in the midst of that electronic communication, well, we were just infuriated. Here's what I learned. I learned that when I get those messages that make me really angry just that quick, the first question I need to ask myself is this, who sent this to me? Who sent this? Is this somebody that generally is out to get me? Is this somebody who generally has their sights set on me? And if it is, then I go, all right, well, we, we need to address this accordingly. But I go, well, well this, came, this came from my friend. We just had lunch 20 minutes ago. Everything was fine at lunch. Why, what changed his mind? Why is he suddenly so angry with me? And I go, wait a minute, he, he, he's not usually angry with me. This is somebody who generally desires what's best for me. He loves me. Maybe, maybe, Craig, he's not the problem. Maybe you're the problem. Maybe you just read it the wrong way. Now, generally, just, just, for, just real quick information related to text messages and emails. When you get those, don't send another message right away. Make a phone call. Okay, Make a phone call. I had a, one of our members here, he sent me uh, some text messages a while back, and I'm going to tell you what, I was livid. I was livid. I texted him, I, I called, I got the red button, then I was ready to fight at that point, okay? Like, you send me these ridiculous messages, all these accusations, I call you, and you give me the red button, what are you doing? Finally, I got face to face, I said, we need to talk. First words out of his mouth, I'm so sorry. I knew when I did that, you were going to be ill, I didn't mean it. I had my kid in the truck, and this was a serious conversation that I just couldn't have with them. Let me explain what I meant. And all of a sudden, it was like pouring water on a fire. Okay. All right. Now let's talk. But hey, here's what he he knew. He knew that after those messages and that red button, he knew that he had gotten all over me because he knew if he'd gotten it, he'd been ready to go too. Folks, pick up the phone and make a phone call. All right, moving on though. Consider the author. Who wrote it? The Bible says right here in Psalm 119, oh, how I love your law, your law. This is God's law. Who is this God? He is the God who loves you, the God who wants what's best for you. He's the author. He's given us this word for our good and for his glory. If you're trying to love God's Word, even the parts that are hard or difficult, I would encourage you to first remember who wrote it. Do you ever come across parts of the Bible? If you've read it and go, I don't know if I like that part. found a song this week. I've laughed so hard at it. And, and one of the things, not everybody's thought it was as funny as me. I've shared it with a few folks. But, but, uh, but the, the, the guy in the song, he says, that, that part about turning the other cheek, that's one part of the Bible I just can't get on board with. We kind of all been there about something, right? There's been that part of the Bible that we just couldn't. God, I don't know if I like this. Folks, when we come to that part, we go, God, I don't know if I like this. The first thing I want you to do is think about who wrote it. Who wrote it? First, remember, he's the creator. He has the right. He's the creator. He made it all. He gets to determine what is right and wrong. The second thing, he's the ruler. So he doesn't just have the right. He has the authority. To cast judgment. But the third thing I would remember is that he is your savior who died for your sins. And so he deserves your attention. 
I'm going to say this, and if any of y'all like twist this out of context, I'll be frustrated. But Jesus has earned the right to be heard. And when I say that, I don't suggest that he had to earn anything. So don't y'all take me and twist me. But here's what, just listen, hear me out. He's earned the right. I had somebody come sit in my office one time years ago. And there was this story that had gotten spun way out of control. And, and, the, and, and in all honesty, there was just a lie that kept running and running and running. And I finally remember looking at that person. I stopped. I said, listen, I've earned the right in your life to hear the truth. I've walked hard roads with you. I understand that you spun this story and it's, it's taken on a life of its own. But I know the truth. And I've earned the right because I've been in the dark places with you. So please stop lying to me and tell me the truth. I'll never forget that person just broke down and looked at me and said, You know what? You're right. This is the truth, but I don't like this truth. And so I refuse to live by it. And my heart was broken. But folks, understand, I had earned the right in that person's life. Because I had walked in the hard places. Y'all, Jesus has earned the right to speak into your life. Because he has done the hardest things. He died for you. He loves you. And so when you consider this word, if this word says things that you don't like, I want you to think about who said it. And why it is that God might have the right to do that. Read the word and remember who wrote it. The second thing I want you to do is to immerse yourself in the word. Do you want to love God's word? Like, like literally, do you want to? So, so like if I can just be honest, and I'm, I'm not mad at anybody. There's some of you in here today that just like, you know what, I, I'm here. Hopefully that's good enough. Okay? And if you're here, I'm just thankful that you're here. And you hear me talking about loving the word of God. And in all honesty, there's just kind of an eye roll in your head. And you go, I, I just don't think it's possible that I could love it. It's, it's, it's hard to understand. I've tried to read it. It's boring. It doesn't get to me. Okay? If that's where you are, then, then I, I would just ask you to, just to pray that the Lord change you. you. You'd be surprised what he could do. But if, if, if you're here, regardless of whether you think it's possible to love God's Word or not, if you want to love God's Word, I would just encourage you to immerse yourself in it. Read it regularly. Often and always, meditate on it. Chew it up and savor it. What's it mean to meditate? Turn it over and over and over. Now, when we meditate on it, that doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to get these, these brand new revelations. A lot of times, the only thing that happens is that as I meditate on the Word of God, as I savor the Word of God, it just becomes sort of a blanket that wraps me up. Sometimes as I meditate on it, it becomes comforting for my soul. Sometimes as I meditate on the Word of God, it becomes a rock in my shoe that, that changes me. But regularly read the Word, spend time in the Word, meditate upon it, chew it up and savor it. Not too long ago, we were eating dinner at home, and I was urging the kids to eat and quit talking. Now, it wasn't one of those bad parenting moments where nobody will eat their food and they're mad about what they have. It was one of those, 
Like, you just want to throw your children out in the yard and leave them for a few hours parenting moments because they were having so much fun at the table talking and laughing and you just wanted to go to bed moments, okay? Parents, y'all had those before, right? Where you're like, I kind of wish y'all didn't like each other as much as you do right now. We should be better as parents because so often they're arguing. We're like, we wish y'all would love one another. And then when they start getting along and they turn against you and you just need them to go to bed, maybe y'all don't understand that. Then you need to have more children. They will rise up against you. I still outweigh them, but I mean. But anyway, we're, we're standing around the table. Everybody's laughing and having a good time. And I implored yet again, please eat your food and go to bed. Okay? Now, it gets even worse if they can somehow get their mother on their side and it's just me versus five. When it's five on one, like I can still win a fist fight against all five of them. But we don't get to do that, you understand? So, like, it's just I'm on an island And one of my little angels looked up and said, Daddy, we're just savoring Mom's great food. (laughs) They weren't savoring anything except the frustration in my voice. You understand? That was all they had. But folks, how often do we, honestly, do we just savor God's Word? How often do we? Do we, and, and look, even if you're not a person, we got one, one man in our church who said, Craig, I'm, I'm reading through the Bible, but I'm not on pace with the church. I started last year. I'm, I'm a slow reader. I'm hoping I'll finish it in two years. That's okay. Hear me say that. A lot of you trying to keep up and you got your tongue hanging out. It's a race. Some of you say, I, I want to do it a little bit slower. I want to chew it up. And I, I want to enjoy it. I want to get all of it that I can. Do we savor the Word? Do we find time to enjoy it, to meditate upon it, turn it over and over and over again? What do you do to surround yourself with God's Word? Obviously, I want you to read it. Immerse yourself in it. But what, what do you do to savor the Word of God other than reading it? Do you read it regularly, often, and always? Do you meditate upon it? Do you surround yourself with the Word of God? What's it look like to surround yourself with it, to read it, to pray it, to, to memorize it, to, to, to find music that incorporates it. That's one of the things that we've been doing this year in our focus on the Bible is so much of the music that we're singing right now in church, so much of that music is, is psalms put to music. If some of it seems a little bit difficult for you to grasp, it's because it's, it's not following sort of what might be a popular... Um, pattern with repeated phrases and things because we're incorporating a lot of scripture and the purpose of that is we we want you to to, to, to love it we want you to we want to get it into your to your bones and into your soul i want it to be stuck in your brain where you can't get it. i want it to be one of those songs that just kind of you can't get rid of it maybe we should put it in one of those like insurance jingles you can't ever get those out of your head but find ways to surround yourself with the word Recite it to others, listen to sermons, read Christian literature, memorize the Word. Parents, use the Word of God in your parenting. Okay? And if that seems really hard and you don't know how, please shoot me an email. I would love to show you. There's, there's just a few things that, that you can do, like little, little steps, little bites that you can take, right? That is, we're teaching our children to obey, that we don't just say obey. We say obey because the Bible teaches us to obey your parents. For this is right. It's, it's, the first, first, it's the first commandment with a promise. That it may go well with you, right? And those of us who are parents understand that in your home. If you obey it, we'll go right with you. We help them to understand 
that. But we don't just help them to understand the verses that apply specifically there. We teach them that when they do wrong, it is sin. What is sin? Sin is that which separates us from God and the people that we love. And we teach them that even though they are sinners, there is a Savior. So we begin to incorporate Scripture into into our regular lives. So immerse yourself in the Word. Sort of bathe in it and chew it up and savor it. Savor it. Do, Do what my kid swore she was doing. I just want to enjoy it. When's the last time you just enjoyed it? I mean, seriously, just enjoyed it. Several years ago, um, I got a hold of, a, of an audio book. It was actually, a, a, the book was uh, A River Runs Through It by Norm McLean. Those of you that have seen the movie didn't even know it was a book. The book is so much better. Just don't watch the movie. Just read the book. So, wait a minute. Don't let your kids read the book. Uh, moving on. But it, it, it's, um, uh, but I just remember it's, it's, the, the audio version of that book I've described several times was like a, a, a warm nap for your brain. Like it, it was just so well written and, and it was short enough that you could get into it. But folks, that's what the Word of God should be for us. Just sort of an envelope that envelops us. And there are going to be days when we're going to read the Word and, and it is going to be that warm, warm summer nap for our brain. There are going to be other days when we're going to read the Word and it is going to cut against us. But it's still for our good and we can trust it because we know the author. We can trust that when the Lord cuts against us, it's because we needed it. So the first thing, remember the author. The second thing, immerse yourself in the Word. And the third thing this morning, do what it says. Look at verse 100. It says, I understand more than the aged. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. And we can see two sides of this phrase. First, he shows us his understanding of the word because he does what the word tells him to do. In other words, he demonstrates his understanding because he obeys it. This is a similar command in James 1.22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. When I was a teenager, I memorized that in the NIV. It's a little bit more direct. It says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. So in one instance, the psalmist here says, by my actions, you can see that I understand the word of God. Folks, if you want to convince us that you, or or anyone really, that you love the Lord you convince people of that by actually doing what the Lord says. It's difficult to convince anybody that you love God's Word if you don't live according to God's Word. If the Word of God is so good and so right and so powerful in your life, why in the world would you live according to anything else? You understand? When we say that God's word is right and true and yet we don't live according to it, the only thing that we're saying is that, hey, my words don't match my actions. So the psalmist says, at least in one reading, hey, you can know that I trust it. You can know that I love it because I do what it says. But the second way we might read this, or the second aspect of this verse is this. Because I do what the Word says, I have a greater understanding of the Word. Because I do what the Word says, I have a greater understanding of the Word. We grow in our understanding of the Word as we obey the Word. Do you love God's Word? Then do what it says. And the more you do it, the more you'll enjoy it. Now, 
Adam has a great way, Pastor Adam here has, has a great way of talking about this when coaching Little League Baseball. So, uh, you know, you, you, you can spend one game on a baseball field and a kid will learn more in one game sometimes than they did in six hours of practice. Because there, you just can't always create those game time situations that you will get in a game. But the more you do it, the more you, you, you put yourself in places, the, the better you're going to be at it. Folks, the more that I find myself obeying God's word, what, watch what happens, the more I learn it, the more I understand it. Because you do it and you go, oh, okay, well, well that makes sense. How many of you are experiential learners? I know you are because you got burned fingers because your mama told you that the oven was hot and you didn't believe her. So how many of y'all got those scars? None of y'all want to admit it. Some of you look at you. Yeah. Right? Some of y'all are still that way. God bless your soul. That's why the emergency room loves you. One of the greatest ways that we will grow in our understanding of and love for God's word is to begin to test it out. To begin to stick our toe in the water and just to see how it is. You ever done something and went, wow, that was so much better than I expected it to be? Now, we can, we, we can even have the opposite effect, can't we? We took our kids to a little street fair a few weeks ago. And uh, um, Sloan and Brooklyn, but Sloan and Brooklyn wanted to ride one of these little rides that goes upside down and spins you like this. So if that's what they want to do, that's your own business. You know, daddy will watch you. Daddy loves you. If, and and I, I, this is going to be bad, but you don't believe me, so just go jump on. And so they start climbing on, and the guy's strapping him in. He goes, oh, he can't ride by himself. <laughs> I said, what, what do you mean he can't ride by himself? Well, he's not tall enough. I said, well, his, his sister's riding. <laughs> no, no, we need some, like, uh, somebody else. And I'm like, Wyatt! Wyatt, where? Y'all, Wyatt is gone. Like he, he's, he's turned around. Aubrey's gone. Angela's too short probably, so she ain't got nothing to do with it. All the tall people have disappeared. And Sloan looks up at me with them puppy dog eyes. Oh, I said, man, I don't have any tickets. I thought I was out at that point. I said, man, I ain't got nothing. He said, oh, it don't matter. Come on, you got to ride with him. I was like, come on. They put me in this thing that is designed for like an Oompa Loompa off Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory. Okay. Like when they put that, that, that they shut the door, and it's, it's just a two-seater thing. It looks like a little rocket. And when they shut the door on that thing, it pulls this bar across me. And I looked at that guy. I, said, I mean, I'm, I'm, I said, dude, can, can you loosen this up? He said, there is no adjustment, sir. I said, man, I can't breathe. He said, are you going to be okay? And I look over and song's up. <laughs> yes, sir, I will be just fine. I lied. I was not fine. It was awful, okay? I was pretty sure before I tried it that I wasn't going to like it. Once I tried it, I knew that I didn't like it, okay? I didn't eat for a while once I got off of that thing. I looked up. <laughs> Sloan's not here so I can talk about him. I look over at one point. We're hanging upside down, okay? I mean, all of me is hanging by this bar. All 230 pounds is begging for mercy against this bar, and Sloan's hanging there, and y'all, his hair is like this long, and it's just hanging down. And he looks over and he says, Is this what death feels like? <laughs> I said, It might be, son. It might be. I don't know. 
He said, this is terrifying. I said, just hush and quit talking. Is this thing ever going to end? You know what's real bad is that the guy that ran the thing lied to me. Let me just finish this real quick. He said, I'll make it quick for you, sir. I did not make it quick. That was the longest 47 minutes of my life. I got off and all, you know, did my microphone just quit? What was that? It's odd sound. We good? I got off and everybody's just staring. I mean, Angela's just grinning. Wyatt's going, Dad, I was trying to get there. I'm like, you lie. There is no truth. Aubrey, she ain't even going to pretend like she's, she's nah, they could have just walked. I don't even care. And I'm just stumbling. And Sloan's going, Daddy, Daddy, I know. No, don't talk to me right now. I don't even, I don't even want children today, just for a few minutes. Y'all, there's some things that we get on, right? And, and it's like, oh. But you really don't know till you try it. Can I tell you something? When you begin to stick your toe in the Word of God, when you get in the seat and they strap you in, some of it's going to still feel like work. But you're going to discover when you're hanging upside down and your hair is falling out, you're going to go, this doesn't feel like death at all. This kind of feels like living. What have I been missing? You want to love God's Word? Do what it says. We teach our kids, obey first and then ask questions. This is How many of your kids get this the wrong way, right? You're like, go clean up your mess at the table. And then they go, but wait a minute. Go, no, 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 no. We, we can talk. What, what, I want to talk about. No, no, we can talk about. But what about dessert? No, 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 no. I need you to obey. And then we can have a conversation. But the first thing I need you to do is stop talking. Do this, obey, all the way, right away, and with a happy heart. Now, so often we read God's Word and we go, well, God, what about? And God says, whoa, 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 whoa. Just try to obey first. See if it doesn't make your life a little bit better. Try this whole thing. Try this whole thing of, you know, loving one man and one woman for all your life. Try this whole marriage thing. See if it doesn't work out okay for you. Try this whole thing of getting plugged into a church and finding community. The Bible teaches us that we were made for each other. And not just in, 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 this is where we get so mixed up, right? We read Genesis and we read about relationships and we go, oh, well, husband and wife, that's it. But that's not the only thing. God created us to be in relationships. God made us not to live alone, but to live in community with others. What I've learned through the years is when people start sticking their toe in and trying it, they go, whoa, it seems like God was on to something. I can't do life all on my own. I've been trying to do it my way, but it turns out God's way works. So try it. We're also safe when we obey. Let me, let me just give you this real quick. One of the reasons that we should all try to teach our children to obey immediately is because sometimes... What's going on in their life is, is not as simple as they didn't throw their trash in the trash can. It's, it's that they're running out in traffic. And I need them to obey now. Now. Not because I'm an evil tyrant. Not because I'm mad. I need them to obey now because I need to make sure that they stop. Me and Sloan were crossing the street the other day and, and, and we were just walking. I had his hand and I sang a little song. It's a silly little song just to remind them to, to, to stop and look both ways before they cross the street. But listen, little boys that are four, five, six, seven, eight years old, a lot of times they, the only thing they see is the ball that rolled under the street. And they just stop now. Folks, do you know that when we obey God's word, there's safety there? 
God says stop, not because he doesn't love us and what's best for us. God says stop because he does love us and knows what's best. Even when we don't, so often we're like that child that just sees the ball bouncing across the street and God sees all the other things and he says, that ball is not the safest place for you. In conclusion, what's it look like to love God's word? Let's, let's finish up right here. Verses 103 and 104. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. What is the goal? Loving God's word. Loving it so much that it is enjoyable. You might not love it today. Consider the steps above. Remember the author. Immerse yourself in the word and do what it says. But finally remember this. It is an acquired taste. But it's not an acquired taste because it is bad or unnatural. It's an acquired taste because our taste buds have been trained by the sinful cheapness of our world. We are all born in sin and our tastes, our desires from birth are only for ourselves. But they're distorted and misguided and God's word redirects those. Laying on my counter at home right now, there are four sets of um, earmuffs, hearing earmuffs, like I would use if I go shooting. And I've gotten them out because Angela called me and reminded me, hey, make sure you bring those. Because sometimes the younger kids, most of mine have outgrown it, but sometimes folks are real sensitive to loud sound of fireworks. And so they, 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 they wear these. We, we, we have some kids in our family that have some sensory issues and they'll want those, but a lot of times it's not a sensory issue, it's just because they've not been exposed to it yet. And the first time they hear that loud explosion, it terrifies them. They have to get kind of accustomed. But what I've noticed through the years is that the first time they experience it, they need these. And fireworks are kind of, eh. Sometimes they end up inside because the fireworks are just too much and they don't see it. But over time, after they experience a little bit more, what they find out is that the explosion's part of the fun. The earmuffs come off. They begin to enjoy the rumble and the sights. It becomes a, an acquired taste. See, the Bible is pure goodness. It's black coffee when you've only ever experienced gas station cappuccino. And for those of you that are still putting cream and sugar in it, again, it's because you've not appreciated it in its natural state. And one day you'll be sanctified. The Bible is rich chocolate when all you've ever eaten is a Snickers. The Bible is steak when all you've ever eaten is a cheap hamburger. The Bible is homemade ice cream. See, when all you've ever eaten is junk, good food can taste bad. That's why you see kids sometimes eating chicken nuggets and french fries in a nice restaurant because their tastes have not been trained to appreciate. You see, we know that that salad is what's best for us. But we also know that we've got to train ourselves to actually enjoy it sometimes. Last week, Pastor Luke encouraged and urged us to tune our hearts to sing God's grace. And today I encourage you to fall in love with God's word. 
It will be an acquired taste. But when you've acquired that taste, you will never want a cheap imitation again. And watch this. When the darkness closes in around you as it did the psalmist, know that your acquired taste will sustain and keep you. All this world will one day pass away. But the word of God will remain forever. 1 Corinthians 13 says, Faith, hope, and love remain. But of these, they will all pass away except for which one? Love. You see what we have that will remain forever? Love and the word of God. And if you love the Word of God, you have a treasure stored up in heaven that you can take with you even when you die. So what about you this morning? Do you love God's Word? If you don't, I'm not mad at you. But I'd love to tell you what you're missing. I drink my coffee black all the time. And any of you that don't are un-American. You shouldn't be a communist on July the 4th. But do you know why I drink coffee? I drink coffee because years ago I was in a meeting. I played a year of football in college. I was in a meeting 5 o'clock in the morning. And we'd go in after practice in the spring, and we'd show up at like 5 or 6, I don't remember, it's dark. I'd roll out of bed after we practiced all afternoon, roll out of bed in the morning, beat up and sore, and we'd go into a meeting room, and they'd turn off all the lights and turn on a projector. And when I fell asleep in that meeting, my sweet and unkind coach looked at me and he said, Thompson, if you ever fall asleep in this meeting again, you'll wish you weren't alive. So that day, I became a coffee drinker. And for the longest time, I drank it with all the sugar and all the cream and all the flavorings. You know, it took me a long time to get to a place where I finally looked around and said, hey, maybe, it's, maybe it could be enjoyable without all this. I didn't love it then, okay? I didn't. Didn't love anything about it except for the fact that it kept me from running. Folks, there's going to be times, and it might be for you right now, that you're going to find time in the Word of God, and the Word is just going to be a, a, a struggle. You're not going to love it. But can I tell you that out in front of you is an opportunity to not just read the Word. To consume it, to love it, to be changed by it. It is hope and life and truth. And in it you find Jesus Christ. The author and the perfecter of our faith. If you're here this morning and you would love for me to pray with you. Or you would just like for me to pray with you. Or you just don't know exactly what you want. But you know that you need more than you have in your life today. 
You say, Pastor, I don't really know how to love the Word of God, but I know I need to be loved by the God of the Word. Could I pray with you today? I'd love to. In just a moment, we're going to stand and sing. Perhaps some of you have spent the last six months in God's Word, and it's been going to change your life. You'd like to come up here and pray. Maybe you'd like to pray there at your seat. If I could pray with you in any way, I'd love to do that. As we sing today, my hope and my prayer is that you'd fall a little bit more in love with the word that was given to us by the God of the universe who died to save us from our sin. And that you would be reminded on this 4th of July that God loves you. No matter where you've been or what you've done, He loves you. And if you don't believe it, He's written it all down so that you would never forget. Let's pray together. Father God in heaven, we love you. We trust you and we praise you. And I pray, Lord God, that you would guide us this day. In Jesus' name, amen.